It is good to be with you once again this evening, and I'm glad that we can uh, come together and and worship God uh, as we have. I would invite you to open your Bibles to the book of Romans this evening, chapter 13. That'll be the first context that we're going to take a look at in just a couple of moments, Romans chapter 13. Now, you may have noticed, I'm not sure, but if you're not aware... We have an election coming up this week. You may have uh, gotten something in the mail about it once or twice, or maybe seen an advertisement on television uh, once or twice or a thousand times. But you know, as it pertains to uh, government and uh, things that have to do with government, Within the church, it's interesting, I guess, like anything else, it seems that you have two extremes sometimes. On the one hand, there is the extreme that always wants to find some way to take uh, a political idea and attach scripture to it and then um, use uh, the pulpit as an opportunity to um, basically become political. That would not be appropriate at all. But then on the other hand, there is the extreme that approaches things that that pertain to matters of government from a completely hands-off approach. It's the idea that, uh, well, you may have heard of this way of thinking. It's the idea that, well, we're Christians and we're not part of this world, and so we don't need to worry or spend any time at all thinking about the government or anything that has to do with the government. That wouldn't be right. There's another way of saying it, you know. Well, you should only speak about things until they get to this point. But once you cross this point, you can't talk about those things anymore. That's also not right because sometimes things of government pass over into matters of morality and faith and so on. But the truth of the matter is that God's word actually does have something to say about the government and about Christians and about our interaction with one, uh, the one between the other. What the government is intended to do or what their role is supposed to be, be uh, as far as what God's intention for it is and how Christians are to relate to the government, how we're to think of it, how we're to approach it, and so on. Now, we don't have the ability to deal with every question and every situation in a lesson like this, but what I'd like to do this evening is I'd like for us to just notice three points, three primary passages of scripture that perhaps will help to lay a foundation to try and avoid these two extremes we talked about. The one where everything becomes about the government and politics and so on, and the other where we're Christians and so we don't think about it or touch it at all. Let's start with Romans chapter 13. This context, Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7, tells us, first of all, that the relationship of the Christian to his government is that he is to be submissive. He is to be submissive. I'd like for us to read these first seven verses together and then go back, and I'd like for us to divide these seven verses into two parts. There's the part that has to do with the government, and then there's the part that has to do with man and our response to it. Let's read it together. Paul says, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God, and those who resist will bring judgment on themselves, 
For rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you, want, uh, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Then do what is good, and you'll have praise from the same. For he is God's minister to you for good, but if you do evil, be afraid. For he does not bear the sword in vain, for he is God's minister, an avenger to execute wrath on him who practices evil. Therefore you must be subject not only because of wrath, but also for conscience' sake. Because, uh, for because of this you also pay taxes, for they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. Render therefore to all their due, taxes to whom taxes are due, customs to whom customs, fear to whom fear, and honor to whom honor. Now let's look at these seven verses again in these two parts. First of all, what do these seven verses tell us about government? They tell us, first of all, that government has been ordained by God. Notice verse number one, he says, there is no authority except from God and the authorities that exist are appointed by God and so therefore whoever resists the authority, that is the authority of the government, is resisting the ordinance of God. So that tells us that government is an institution that God has designed, number one, but the Bible also tells us that God rules over government. Listen to some of these Old Testament passages that will help to provide some commentary. In Psalm 75, in verse number 7, listen to what the psalmist says. Psalm 75, verse 7 says, But God is the judge. He puts down one and exalts another. The one and the another he's talking about are the kingdoms and the rules and the governing systems of, of men. He says God is the judge, the judge of government, of kingdoms and authority figures. He puts down one and he exalts another. Daniel chapter 2 and verse 21 says basically the same thing, that God exalts and God uh, destroys or puts down governments. And then in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 17, remember this passage, the most high rules in the kingdoms of men. So when we put those together, what we learn is that civil government is an institution that God has designed and that God rules over civil government. That he, in, in the language of Psalm 75 and Daniel 2 and Daniel 4, that he rules in those kingdoms and that he gives those kingdoms to whomever he will. Here's the second thing that Romans 13, 1-7 tells us about government. That government is designed to be a terror to those who are evil. Look closer. He says in verse number 3, or he asks the question in verse number 3, do you, do, he says in verse 3, rulers are not a terror to good but to evil. And then he asks the question, do you want to be unafraid of the authority? What does that mean? It means... Do you want to live in such a way so that you are not afraid of the, of, the, of the ruling authorities? I think everybody would answer yes to that question, or at least most people. Well, how is it then that you can live in such a way that you are unafraid of these governing authorities? The answer is do what is good. And the reason is because government is described as God's minister. That's a word that literally means a servant. And so government is God's minister for good. But if you do evil, verse 4, he says, be afraid. And the reason is because he does not bear the sword in vain. 
So we've said it this way uh, many times, and I think this is an accurate summary of this context, that the role of government is to protect the good and to punish the evil. And that's exactly what Paul is saying. When Paul says that the government does not bear the sword in vain, of course he is talking about the ability that the government has to inflict punishment upon those who do evil. To inflict punishment upon those who abuse the good. He says this is government's primary responsibility to protect the good and to punish the evil. Now, how far, does, how far can government go in inflicting that punishment? Well, someone said a long time ago that the government does not bear the sword in vain and the government didn't spank anybody with the sword in the first century and that's true. Do you remember Genesis chapter 9 and verse 6? This is what God said. Whoever sheds man's blood, by man shall his blood be shed. Now we refer to that as capital punishment. And we have an interesting passage in Acts chapter 25, verse 10 and 11, when the apostle Paul is standing on trial and he is uh, answering for the, ch- uh, the charges that are brought against him. And here's what he says. He says, if I have done anything worthy of death, then I refuse not to die. Now, what does that tell you about how the Apostle Paul viewed capital punishment? Uh, Not saying that the government uh, ought to exercise capital punishment in every case. That's not the point that I'm making. The point that I'm making is that the government has the ability to punish the evil up to and including putting a person to death if the crime is deemed worthy or warrants that penalty. What did Paul say? How did he view it? Essentially what he's saying is, if I have done something that is worthy of being put to death, then I refuse refuse to not be put to death. I recognize that that is a viable option and the government has the authority to do it, and so, fine, so be it. So Romans 13 tells us that government is an institution designed by God, that he rules over it, and that they are a terror to to those who are evil, that they enforce the law, or at least they're supposed to enforce the law, and they are supposed to punish those who do wrong. But also, the third thing, which uh, flows naturally as an implication from the second, is that uh, government is a minister for those who do good. The two parts, he protects the good and he punishes the evil. And Paul says as much. He says that government is God's minister, Romans 13 and verse 4, government is God's minister for good. So government is a system that is designed and that is put in place in order to maintain what we would say or what we would describe as law and order. Government's job is to protect against what's called antinomianism. Antinomianism is a rejection of law, is a rejection of rule and regulation. And as history reveals, antinomianism always breeds anarchy. So government's responsibility is to serve for the good of those who practice what is good, which means they maintain law and they maintain order, and they protect good citizens so that good citizens can live a peaceful life. Keep that in mind, by the way, because it's going to come up again later in another passage. Now, that's what these seven verses say, basically, about government. 
that it's ordained by God, it's designed, it's intended to be a terror to the evil and a minister for good. But now what does it say about man? It says basically two things. Number one, that man has the responsibility to be submissive. Romans 13 verse 1 begins by saying, let every soul be subject to the governing authorities. This word subject is important because it implies a willful submission. And in fact, it is the same word that we find in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21 and 22, when Paul talks about submitting to one another and then wives submitting to their husbands. It's also found in 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 18. And in, and in Titus chapter 3 and verse 1, here's what Paul said to Titus. Remind them, Titus 3, 1, to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey and to be ready for every good work. Listen, to be subject to rulers and authorities and to obey. This is our obligation to the civil government. We are to be in subjection. It is a willful submission. It is a willful obedience with, of course, uh, with, of course one exception. And that's Acts chapter 5 and verse 29. You remember that the governing authorities, the civil authorities, the rulers of the Jews, they brought Peter and John before them and they said, you will no longer preach in the name of this man, Jesus of Nazareth. And Peter said, we ought to obey God rather than man. So God's expectation is for people to submit to the civil government, but not if the civil government is going to uh, require them to do something that is a violation of the will of God. God has never expected people to obey the precepts of men over his own will and his own instruction. That is, of course, the exception. So there's submission, but there's also support. Look at Romans 13, verse uh, 6 and 7. For because of this, what's the this, by the way? Well, of course, what he's just said in verses 1 through 5, which says that government is here to serve you. They are an institution of God. By the way, notice that. Government is here to serve you. That's the intention that God has for them. They are a minister of God in order to protect the good and to punish the evil. They are servants of the people uh, who are under their jurisdiction. And for this work of serving to protect the good and punish the evil, Paul says, for because of this, you also pay taxes because they are God's ministers attending continually to this very thing. What's the thing? Their job is outlined in the first five verses. And so he says, therefore, render unto, uh, to all their due taxes to whom taxes, custom to custom, fear to fear, honor to honor. So there's a couple of things here. There's paying taxes. Remember Jesus talked about this in Matthew 22, verses 17 to 21. Render unto Caesar the things which are Caesar's and unto God the things which are God's. But there's also an attitude. He says that we are to uh, render fear to whom fear is due. And fear has to do with respect or an attitude. And then he says, give honor to whom honor is due. And honor has to do with words and action. So we support them by paying taxes, and we also uh, make sure that we have the right attitude and that it's manifested in the right words and in the right actions. 
And those are the things that Paul outlines in Romans chapter 13, verses 1 to 7. Government and its role, and man and his role. Now let's look at a second passage. Look at 1 Peter chapter, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2. Romans chapter 13 tells us that we submit. 1 Peter chapter 2 tells us that we have to silence those who are ignorant. Look at 1 Peter chapter 2. This context is one of my favorite contexts in the New Testament. And um, it begins actually in verse 11 and in verse 12. In 1 Peter 2, 11 and 12, you have a negative and a positive exhortation. The negative is in verse number 11, abstain from fleshly lusts which war against the soul. The positive is have your conduct honorable among the Gentiles that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may by your good works which they observe glorify God in the day of visitation. Now, we sing the song sometimes, each day I'll do a golden deed by helping the, uh, those who are in need. That song is titled, A Beautiful Life, and the idea behind that song is 1 Peter chapter 2 and verse 12. Peter uses this word honorable, and the word honorable really is the idea of attractive or beautiful. And when Peter uses the word Gentiles in the book of 1 Peter, he is talking about those who are non-Christians. And so what he's saying is that your conduct, the way that you live, ought to be honorable or ought to be beautiful. It ought to be attractive among those who are non-Christians. And here's the reason why. So that when they speak against you as evildoers, that means when they accuse you of being evildoers, they may, by your good works which they will observe, that conduct that's beautiful, be able to glorify God in the day of visitation. The day of visitation has to do with the judgment day. And so the point he's making is that while you're living amongst non-Christians, live in a way that is beautiful and honorable and that glorifies God and that is attractive so that non-Christians might see that and they might be attracted to it. And it may be that through your living out the, the, the principles of New Testament Christianity, someone, some of these uh, who are non-Christians, they might see that put on uh, display and they might be drawn to ask, well, what about this? What's, what do I need to do in order to be like that and enjoy this kind of a life? In other words, the way that we live may play a role in converting those who do not believe. That's the point. Now, the question is how to do it. And in verse 13 and following, Peter will then outline some specific ways in which we can fulfill this. And the first thing that he outlines is submission to government. Listen to verse 13, 1 Peter 2, 13. He says, Therefore submit yourselves to every ordinance of man for the Lord's sake, whether it's to king as supreme or to governors or, excuse me, as those who are sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. Notice how similar that sounds to Romans 13. They are sent by God for the punishment of evildoers and for the praise of those who do good. That's government's role. For this is the will of God that you, by doing good, may put to silence the ignorance of foolish men, as free yet not using liberty as a cloak for vice, but as bondservants of God, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, and honor the king. Now, it's interesting. Notice in verse number 15... We're told to live beautiful lives in verse 12. We're told in verse 13 and 14 
that the way to do that, or one way to do that, is by submitting to the ruling authorities, but then in verse 15, we have a purpose, and the purpose sounds strange, doesn't it? The purpose, he says, is to put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. What is that all about? Well, remember, in verse number 12, he said that when they speak against you as evildoers... Do you see what's going on in the background of 1 Peter is that those who are non-Christians, one of the things that they're doing is they're going to the governing authorities and they are falsely accusing, they are slandering Christians and attributing to them actions that they have never committed. It's a form of persecution in the first century world. They're falsely accusing Christians And that, therefore, results in uh, these false accusations result in persecution for Christians. So what Peter is saying is, look, you live a beautiful life, you live an attractive life, a godly life, by being submissive and cooperative with the governing authorities so that when your enemies go before them and they falsely accuse you, your actions are going to speak louder than their words. And your action of of obedience will therefore put to silence the ignorance of foolish men. Their attacks will be immediately discredited. That's the idea of the passage. So we ought to silence the ignorant. Here's our last context. Look at 1 Timothy chapter 2. We've had submission. We've had silence. 1 Timothy 2 then will talk to us about the importance of prayer. In 1 Timothy chapter 2... Listen to what Paul says, beginning in verse 1. There are um, five things that Paul says about prayer, beginning in verse number 1. First of all, there is the place of prayer, or the importance of prayer. He says, therefore, I exhort first of all. First of all uh, indicates, again, importance, the place of prayer. Then there's what we'll call the variety of prayer. Notice that Paul uses a number of different Words, a number of different types or kinds of prayer, if you will. He says, first of all, that supplications. Supplication can refer to personal needs. Prayers, it's a general term for prayer. It refers to devotion or closeness that's involved in prayer. Intercession has to do with going to God on behalf of another person. Thanksgiving, prayers, uh, intercessions, and giving of thanks... Again, a grateful acknowledgement for the things that we've been provided. These four things, he says, look at the object in verse two, at the end of verse 1 going on into verse 2. These four things are to be given for all men, but especially, he says, for kings and for all who are in authority. So he specifically points out those who are in authority, kings and those who are, are ruling, and he says we ought to make supplication and prayer and intercession and even thanksgiving for these folks who are in government. But then he tells us why. Listen to what he says. So that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and reverence. Do you remember the the key thing that Romans 13 and Peter in 1 Peter chapter 2 verse 13 and 14 said as it pertained to the responsibility, the role of government? He said it is to punish those who do evil 
and to protect and to, to, to bless those who do good. And Paul is saying in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 1 and following, we ought to pray for that very thing. We pray for kings and for all of those who are in authority, and our prayer is that they might govern in such a way that we may therefore lead a quiet and peaceful life in all godliness and reverence. To put it another way, we might say it like this. We pray for those who are in authority that they might govern in such a way so that the work of the church, so that the work of the church can be at its greatest advantage or so that the work of the church can, can go on. The idea and the emphasis is godliness and reverence and quietness and peace. And so Paul says we ought to pray for that end. But the interesting thing about it is that if government will simply abide in the realm within the limitations and serve the purpose that God has intended for it, according to Romans 13 and 1 Peter chapter 2, then this prayer would not be a difficult prayer at all because government would not fight against good, but rather government would fight against evil. So, what then... Again, this is just, uh, much more could be said, but just uh, three foundational passages. What do they say? They tell us that government is an institution designed by God, ruled over by God, that is intended to punish the evil and protect the good. That we ought to submit ourselves to government unless government would require us to go against the will of God. That in submitting to government, we put to silence some of the false accusations that are sometimes levied at Christians, and we ought to pray that government will do what God intends for government to do so that therefore we might live a peaceful and quiet life in all godliness and reverence. We have a very unique situation in our time because of the country in which we live and because of our constitution and our rights and laws and things that God has given us. And we have rights in this country that our brethren in history and even in other places in the world have not had. Namely, we have the ability, we have the ability within the principles of godliness, within the principles of the law that has been created for our country to pray and to plead with and to do what we can, again, within the confines of God's word to hold government accountable in order to fulfill the function and role that God has designed for it within the pages of his word. And so as Solomon said in Proverbs 14:34, righteousness exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to, to any people. And so our response to government then should be to support them as they do what God intends for them to do, to pray for them and to pray that they will do what God intends for them to do and in whatever way possible within the boundaries of, of God's word uh, seeking to, to try and have those in place who will see to the matters of righteousness as opposed to the matters of unrighteousness. That's what God's word tells us in brief about government and about our responsibility to it. It's not always easy, admittedly. It's not always easy even for me. But it's something that is necessary for us to consider and something for us to meditate upon and pray about on a regular basis. Hope this has been helpful. 
We're going to offer the Lord's invitation now, and it may be that there's someone who has a need to respond, perhaps to become a child of God. Maybe you are a Christian this evening, and there are some things in your life that are not as they should be. Maybe you're just struggling with some discouragement, or maybe there's some other area in which we can help. If you have any need, won't you come forward and let it be known while we stand and sing together.